We turn our attention now to Philippians chapter 2. Just before I get to verse 12, I want to refresh your memory on something that we talked about back in verse 27. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Two things from that verse I'd like to draw your attention to. Only let our conduct, your conduct, be worthy. That term worthy means to be weighed in the balance, to be weighed by the scales. And so here on one side you have the weights by which you measure something, and then you put the, the, the uh, merchandise that you're purchasing on the other side. And if you have a five-pound weight, then you hope that you're receiving five pounds of goods as they balance the scales. And so he says, let your conduct be worthy, let your conduct be balanced in the scales. And of course, the measure of that is the conduct of Christ. And so Christ is the the term of measure or the person of measure, and we're trying to, to measure our lives by his to have the scales balanced, if you will. The second thing I would call your attention to is this statement that he makes, whether I come and see you or I'm absent. Because that same phraseology is used in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So Paul is concerned about something relative to these Philippians. Now he's not there with them. There was something he did when he was with them. And now there's something he's concerned about that he's no longer with them. And I think what he's trying to get them to understand is they need to be serious about how they behave. They need to know how, how, that they behave differently. Again, in verse 27, let your conduct be worthy. And then verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed. He wants them to, to be weighed in the balance with regard to their behavior. The power of the word and the power of any preaching And the only power that the person who takes the word to preach has is to try to implant that word on the hearts of people so that it will affect our lives. There's no power other than that. If the power of the gospel is not enough to draw our attention to it, then no other schemes that we're going to have, no other mechanisms that we can use is going to be of any value. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be saying this. Oh, Paul, we miss you so much. We've never heard anybody like like you since you have left, and we just miss you so much. And we're just not the same without you. That's not what he wants to hear. What he wants to hear is, Paul, while you were with us, you helped us understand how we ought to behave You helped us understand that we are different. It's easy for one who teaches or one who instructs, whatever the field is, engineering, medicine, science, whatever it is, welding, it doesn't matter. It's easy for the teacher to take what the teacher knows and do it themselves. It's harder to take 
the information the teacher knows and to enable the students to do what the teacher is instructing them to do. It takes a lot more effort to do that. It'd just be easier if you're trying to teach, say, welding, that you take the rod in hand and you just begin to weld everything there is to do and then tell the student, did you see what I did? The student can watch what you did all day long, but until the student does what you just did, they're not going to learn it. And Paul, that's what he's telling them here. Here's what, how I want you to get this. I want you to understand, I'm not here to do this for you. I'm here to teach you and to show you how to do this so that when I'm gone, you'll know how to do this. So he says, I want you to understand, there's a difference in how we behave. There's a difference in who we are. He says, we're not like this pointless, heedless, godless, hopeless society. We are different. And you know, as parents, that same thing is true. It'd be easy with our children as we're raising them. Okay, let me show you how to do that, and then we just do it for them. So here their homework comes. And they have a night full of homework. And it has to do with math, science, English, whatever you want to have. It's loaded for the evening. Say, okay, let me show you how to do this. So what you do is you sit down and do the homework for them. Now, did you see how I did that? They haven't learned anything. It's the same thing with teaching our children with regard to spiritual things slash moral things. We're going to teach them things about spiritual matters, and we're going to teach them things about moral matters that they're not going to understand, but we love them too much to fail in doing that. And it may be, it may be while we're trying to teach them how to behave spiritually and morally, that there are no hugs and there are no kisses and there's very little appreciation. That doesn't change our responsibility to teach them how they ought to behave spiritually and as an outgrowth morally. And one day, just one day, they may wake up and they may tell you thank you. I remember when we were here in the beginning, Cody was still in high school. And we had an argument on the way home about him getting his Bible class lesson. And I was bound to determine he was going to get the point. So I said, get upstairs right now. I'll be up there in a minute. And when I was up there in a minute, what that meant was I was going to bring an instrument of punishment with me. And as he goes up the stairs, he said, you can spank me if you want to, but it'll do no good. I said, well, that's fine, son, but the Lord told me to do it anyway, so bend over. You know what? It did some good. It wasn't what he wanted. But it's what I understood was needed. Now, I made a lot of mistakes as a parent. I can catalog those for you all day long. That was one of the few times I did something that was good. Do you see what I'm saying? We're trying to help each other understand we are different from this world. And so Paul says, the first thing I want you to understand is, pay attention to how you behave. The second thing I think that's important that we see from this text is... He goes on to say in verse 12, 
But now work out your salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? I'd begin the explanation of that by saying this. The draw of the gospel is not that we gather every Lord's Day on the first day of the week and partake of the Lord's Supper. I'm not diminishing the importance of that. Please understand this. But whether we partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week or not is not the driving issue in the hearts of people today. The driving issue in the hearts of people today is how can I live in this godless, hopeless society, in this world, and be different in the midst of my feeling hopeless in doing so? We can partake of the Lord's Supper. We can be baptized by immersion all day long. But if it hasn't made a difference for us, if it has not assuaged our own anxieties, our own wearies, our own frets, if it has not filled in the gaps of our own failings, then telling people about the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week is going to be rather pointless. Jesus said, I didn't die for you on the cross. I was not raised from the dead on the third day. So you could be, make a point of contention about the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. What I did was I did that so you could be transformed and have an unconquerable joy and peace and that you can be someone transformed. And he said, and you do this with fear and trembling. I don't think the fear and trembling here is like when Paul stood before Agrippa and talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come and, and it said, and he trembled. I think the fear and trembling here is the trembling fear that goes with knowing... I can possibly bring, bring shame on someone who has loved me and done so much for me. Work out your own salvation. Pay attention to your lives. Pay attention to how we live our lives. We are in the process of being transformed. And when we are transformed to look like him, then the Lord's Supper is going to mean something to people. But if we're not paying attention to how we're working out our own salvation, to the transformation that's taking place, with such great awe, with such great reverence that Mark talked about, with such great seriousness in this endeavor, this enterprise that we're involved in called living by faith. If we haven't taken that serious, then what have we reflected about the master who died for us? Do you have someone in your life that you respect so much, that you love so much, that you admire so much, that it would break your heart to know that you in some way brought them shame or disappointed them? I have several like that in my life. But great as those people are, even greater is that in some way 
I should bring shame on the one who died for me. So he says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. And what he says, I think in that is, we need a whole lot more of Joseph's attitude. How can I do this thing and sin against my God? When that overture is made, and I know in doing so the balances of the scales are going to be tilted and offset, how can I do that and sin against my God? If I come and I partake of the Lord's Supper the first day of every week and never miss an opportunity to do so, but my life does not mirror, reflect the unconquerable joy and peace and love that he had, then what am I saying about the master? What am I saying about the king? What am I saying about my savior? So he says, here's my concern, whether I'm with you or without you, whether I'm with you or I'm absent, here's my concern. I want you to know that you're different, and your difference will be seen in how we behave. And will we, in our behavior, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, with this kind of reverence for God that is, that is unmovable because of our great love for Him? Will we allow the transformation of our lives to reflect, to reflect him. The next thing that he says here in Philippians chapter 2 is he says in verse 13, For it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. When you think about what we've just mentioned, who is working that out in us? It's God who works in you both to will and to do. Now we all understand, if God simply wanted to do, if God simply wanted the behavior, he could have gotten it. He could have programmed us like robots. Wind it up and let it go down the aisle and it does everything I want that person to do. But he said God works both to will and to do. God wants the will and the do of the person. He doesn't just want the do, he wants the heart of the person. And we need that lest we become lackadaisical, lest we become casual, lest we become indifferent. To conquer indolent indifference, he said, I want you to understand it's God who works in you both to will and to do. Our behavior matters. May I pause just a moment? And may I make this observation for us all? And notice I used the plural pronoun there. I didn't say for you. I said for us all. Our biggest challenge today, our biggest challenge today, individually and collectively, it's what I just said. A lackadaisical indifference. Life under the sun has its monotonous routine to it. It does. 
Does your routine vary much every week? Mine doesn't. <laughs> I make up my daily schedule every week, and it looks the same as the week before. You got up, you came here this morning. What did you do last week? What did you do the week before? What are we doing now? And what happens over time is if we're not careful, we get in a rut and we stay in a rut long enough, someone said it becomes a grave. Our biggest challenge is maintaining our spiritual fervency. And that's the genius of the gospel and the motivating factor of it. Why will we give ourselves in such great service to him? Because he's done so much for us. Interview a 98-pound woman and ask her, how could you lift that car off your son? And her response is, if it had been your son, you'd have done the same thing. And the point about that is, he has loved us so much, and because he's loved us so much, we try to offer ourselves back to him with such great, with such great fervor. We cannot afford, we cannot afford to continually come through the doors of this building or live our lives sleepwalking our way through this life. Like a daisicalness and indifference are the death of hope because they create despair. And if our hope is going to be alive and our faith is going to be vibrant, then we must, as much as we humanly can, be as fervent every day as we can because he has loved us so much. Well, that's easy for me to say because I'm up here preaching, right? Because the preacher is supposed to always be the fervent one and tell the people to wake up, right? I hope. I hope that's not what you think. I hope that's not how you feel. We're in this together. But it's God. It's God who's working in us. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's how we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Because it's not by our own efforts, it's God working in and through us. Both to will and to do. We said we would give him our hearts. We can't yank it back. If we're going to give him our heart, then we give him our heart. We don't enter into marriage and say, okay, I give my heart to you, but halfway through say, I want it back. No, you keep giving and you keep giving and you keep giving. Why? Because the other gives so much for you. He said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you orphaned. I'm not going to leave you without. Look at the book of Ephesians. Put your finger in Philippians there. Look at the book of Ephesians real quick. Look in chapter 1. Look in chapter 1. And look at verse 18. 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the power, mighty, according to the working of the mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenlies. Chapter 2, verse 7. And that in ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Have we been left alone? He said his power is working in us and it's God who works in us both to will and to do. It's God's power. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. It is the Holy Spirit's message by which he takes and inscribes it on our hearts and through which he indwells our hearts and infuses us with the power of deity. And when we are filled with all his fullness, his mighty power is working in us. How filled are we with his fullness? Is our tank full? Are we half empty? Are we at a quarter? Are we running on fumes? And so Paul will say, do not diminish, to these Philippians and to us, do not diminish your life. Do not diminish what you are doing in this pursuit call being a Christian because to do so is to diminish the power of God that works in us because it's God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure it is through his strength that we remain strong be strong in the power of the Lord we're passive in that Ephesians 6 verse 10 we're passive be strong in the power of the Lord. It's the Lord that empowers us and strengthens us. And so he says, be aware. It's God who works in us both to will and do of his good pleasure. We cannot afford. We cannot afford to let life under the sun begin to dominate us and cause us to be indifferent. We cannot afford, as Mark repeatedly said, afford to be casual about our spiritual life. Reverence for God requires a sober and serious mind. That doesn't mean we can't have fun. That doesn't mean we can't smile. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy singing. We can't enjoy having a, ser a sermon. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy life. He's not saying you go around with a dolesome look on your face and and never smile because, oh, I'm just so serious. No, you can be serious and be happy. Remember, unconquerable joy. Because we're working our salvation, him, it's he working, working us. We have that unconquerable joy and peace. There's joy that comes with that. And then he will say, backing up to Philippians now, chapter 2. He will say in our final thought for this morning. 
Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may be harmless, blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. When he says, do all things without, some say murmuring, complaining, my new King James says without complaining and disputing, that's not us grumbling against one another. That, he's not saying, okay, don't be grumbling about Kevin here. And Kevin, don't be grumbling about Ricky. Now, there may be justification for Kevin grumbling about Ricky, but that's not what he's saying. He's not saying don't grumble with one another. What he's saying is don't complain and dispute about our submission to the Lord. If it's God who works in us both the will and do, don't be grumbling and complaining about our submission to the Lord. We are, if we're going to be like him, we're going to have his spirit. That's what we've been saying all along. If we're going to be like him, we're going to have purity. If we're going to be like him, we're going to be righteous because he has enabled us to be righteous. We are going to be filled with love. If, with, if we're going to be like him, we're going to bear the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, self-control, gentleness, goodness, faith. All those things that characterize him in character are going to be characteristic of us. But, remember, there's a war going on. There's a spiritual battle going on. Remember, there's a spiritual battle going on. And just like in time of war, we can't afford to turn our back. We can't afford to let the guard down. The sentinel is set on watch. And the sentinel watches for the good of all, not just himself. And the moment the sentinel closes his eyes or drifts in sleep, the enemy sees the breach and will attack. And we are set as sentinels in this spiritual endeavor, this spiritual war, and we cannot afford to grow drowsy. Because it's he who works in me, then every day I wake, there is something different. I don't sleep the same, I don't walk the same, I don't live the same because he's made the difference in me. Yes, the moral sins of Galatians chapter 5 are atrocious. And that's an understatement. But there's something that is more harmful than all of those. And that is that we turn our backs on God. Or that we bow our head in a sleep where the enemy sees the breach and will therefore attack us and defeat us. And so he says, be as lights in this world. In fact, when you look at verse 14, uh, uh, verse 15 now, he says that you may become blameless and harmless. Pay attention to how you submit to the will of God. Don't grumble and complain about submitting to the will of God. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. Notice, in the midst of a crooked, perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Amidst a wicked and perverse, crooked generation. That sounds like today, doesn't it? 
You'd think Paul was writing that to us. Be blameless, be harmless, shine as lights in the midst of a wicked and perverse and wicked generation. You see the wickedness all about us. That's, the war is here. It's not against flesh and blood. Satan's not a flesh and blood person. He's a person. He's real. The battle's against spiritual wickedness in high places. And Satan understands the battle, and he understands how to attack, and he understands how to defeat. And God warns us how he does it. And so when he says to them, you be harmless and blameless in this wicked, perverse generation, we could look at all the filth we have among us and say, that's us. But he says, in the midst of that, don't despair. God's working you both will to do. You shine his lights in this world. You shine his lights in this world. We are to let our light shine because we are a colony of heaven. Philippi was a colony of Rome that annexed, that Rome had annexed Philippi. And we are an annexation. We are a colony of heaven. We're citizens of heaven, and we are a colony of heaven collected together here. And he says, as a colony of heaven, you let your light shine, and as you individually go forth, you let that light shine throughout all the world. And do that with doubt and despair. Do that with great hope. Do that with great fervor. And don't grow indolent and indifferent to doing of it. You stay awake. And then he says this in verse 16 and 17. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yea, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering of the sacrifice and service of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. And Paul uses an imagery here about his running this race, I've not run in vain or labored in vain, and talks about being poured out as a drink offering. In the Old Testament, you had twice, in the morning and the evening and twice on Sabbath, you'd have the drink offering that would be brought and poured out on the sacrifice. And therefore, the, the aroma would go up, be a sweet aroma to the Lord. And Paul says, if in the doing of this, I'm pouring out my life for you. I'm pouring out my life for you. And if I'm pouring out my life for you, I don't want this to have been in vain. The reason I'm pouring out my life for you is because I want you to be complete. I want you to be mature. I want you to be grown up. I'm pouring my life out over you. And we are pouring our lives out over others in service to God. So he says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, we offer our body as this kind of sacrifice because of God's mercies. And in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, he says, come to me all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. The Lord said, I poured out my life for you. You pour out your life for others in service to him. And even in the midst of a world, even in the midst of a world who does not believe who Jesus is and who cries for one more sign, one more sign, just like Capernaum, give us another sign. He said, you've got Jonah and the prophets. And if he'd had one more sign, they still wouldn't have believed him. And if we're here to do a sign today, would it change? Would it change the heedless hearts of people who've turned away from him? The sign then did make a difference. The sign now would make a difference. But understand, back in chapter 2 and verses 10 and 11, he says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of Father. We can shake our fist in the face of God today and it will be a brief victory because the day will come in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So Paul exhorts them and us. Pay attention to how we behave because we're different. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Understand it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And we submit ourselves to God without grumbling and complaining. And when we do that, we will not become indifferent and will not become lackadaisical. We'll always take serious our relationship with God. Thanks for listening this morning. Hope that's helpful to you. Hope that gives you something to think about. Powerful words from the Holy Spirit. We're going to have a word of prayer. And then James will lead us in a verse or two of song. And then we'll be dismissed our classes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.